Okay. Are you ready? I am. All right. Today's snack of the day is popcorn. Popcorn. All right. Hey, what's up, Max Ordinate Nation? This is Tyler and Jeff. We're getting after it today. Thanks for tuning in. Today's episode is, it's kind of still structured, but it's a little less of, you know, we're just kind of hanging out on a Friday, trying to get after it and and uh, get out to you guys before the weekend. So it's more of a hanging out, hitting a topic we're passionate about, something that I am interested in, but Jeff, you, you're like in it, right? I have yet to participate in it. And of course, we'll be covering some recoil fail videos and then, uh, Another video of I don't really fucking agree with that. Kind of like what a, and we'll get into it in the video, right? And I don't want to spoil yeah. anything. And and there's a lot of details to cover. And then anything else that we thought we could, uh, you know, interest everybody with and kind of spread to the world. So let's get to the show. You're unbelievable. takes to make a shot at that range. Everything comes into play that far. Humidity, elevation, temperature, wind, spin drill. Here we go now. 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 Let me clear my throat. Oh! Have mercy, babe. Ha! I hope you don't mind. You feel ready? Really? You gonna clean it? Yeah, he is. You gotta show some confidence here. I mean, hell yeah. Welcome, friends and guests, to Max Ordnance, the Precision Rifle Podcast. All right, Jeff. So it is uh, afternoon for you. It's morning time for me right now. It's actually Saturday for me, and I'm going to go diving. I'm going to hit a dive. I'm going to try to, uh, nothing crazy, you know, just jump off the side of a cliff, land in the water, drop down, All right. maybe hit 125 feet, play around in some caves, see a turtle or a shark or two, and then I'm going to get my ass out of the water after about an hour, and I'm going to go try and do some rock climbing and you know, do two activities in one day where I try not to die. But I feel like you just glanced over 125 feet. I, <laughs> I think 80 feet is about as deep as I've ever been. And I had the guy was wearing twin 50s. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not wearing twins or anything. Just a single tank. It's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a hundred steel 100. And, you know, 125 feet is... It's not bad. I mean, I've done deeper than that. I've, I've done some shipwrecks where we're down at 150, 160. And really, I mean, you're just, you're, you're obviously, you're paying attention to your dive time and you're looking at, you know, uh, how long you're going to be in decompression and making sure you have a, a, enough air that you can drop down to the depth that you want to hang out at, um, you know, see whatever it is that you want to see. And then you, you have to plan for, you know, how much time you have to spend in decompression, you know, and, and time. Yeah, because you're burning a lot of air just being down there at that well, depth. Yeah, so, I mean, one, how your body reacts, but two, like, the deeper you go, you know, the less, because air compresses. So, yeah. 
you know, the less volume that you have to deal with. So um, all of these things have to come into consideration, and, you know, and then you, you have to come up and you have to wait at certain depths while your body starts to decompress and go through this uh, nitrogen burnoff. So, um, you know, things that you just have to plan for and, you know, I don't want to say it'll never happen, but I think I've, I've been pretty safe at, you know, managing my air, making sure that I'm coming up at the right times. And, you know, I haven't really finished at a point where like I pop up out of the water and I'm like, Oh my God, that was so close. Like I almost ran out of air. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be stupid. I just want to enjoy what I'm doing. So, um, All right, well, have fun today. I'm going to try, man. And, uh, dude, yesterday I posted a workout that is on my, my new weightlifting schedule, right? So like every day it's a certain, certain run distance. And then I might have to swim or I might have to jump rope or do something like that. You know, that's, that's neither here nor there. What was crazy was like part of this new workout is one, the volume and two, the intensity. So I had to start off with deadlifts and, you know, I don't weigh a ton. I'm like 150 on the low side. Right. Um, so part of my, my beginning of the workout was deadlifts and it's eight sets of deadlifts and I'm working my way up. So it's like 135 and then it, you know, that's kind of like a warm up set and then it jumps to 185 and, you know, the final four sets are 295 for five, five reps. And I'm lifting this and, and, uh, you know, my max is a little bit higher than that. We're probably in the mid three hundreds for my max, but 295 is still a lot of weight. And holy, especially at 150 and change. I mean, holy shit. You know, pulling 295, five sets or five reps over four sets is, I was cursing some shit, man. It was, ouch. I mean, I feel good today, but man, that was, this new workout is, is kicking my ass. What, what is your broken ass body getting into? Are you able to do anything yet? Not currently. Um, I am hanging in drywall today and my, my elbows are feeling it. I got this touch of, um, tennis elbow out of nowhere. So it kind of set me back. The problem is, is I can't rest. And so I'm nursing my right elbow. So my left one's getting worse. So I've got to take after today, I'm going to take a few days off. Just let my, my elbows rest. And it's, it's weird. It's like, it's really painful for, it, it's just a weird injury. I've never had it. And I don't know where it came from. I don't know why I got it, but I have it. And so now all I'm doing is, a little light leg work, um, you know, mostly some, some stretches and some like mobility type stuff right now to just so I can stay mobile. Cause for me, if I don't move, um, I kind of start getting locked up and hurting. So golfing and, uh, upper thoracic and mobility exercises for me is all I'm doing. I got you. Okay. Well, I think they call that, uh, age, but yes, that's what happens. That's what happens when you're almost 50. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I'm not there yet. I have not crossed the 40 year old mark, but I'm starting to understand what everybody talks about when they're like, Oh, you'll get there one day. I'm like, son of a bitch. I'm getting there. So, you know, I don't, I tell you what, I don't mind though. I'm in, I would, I would hazard to say I'm probably in nearly better shape now than I, than I was 10 years ago. So you know, it's all what you do with it. I mean, I can, and I'll be in better shape in a couple of years than I am now. So 
Yeah, you yeah. You can't sit around and do nothing or you're going to feel it. That's true, man. Idle. You sit idle, it just gets worse. Yeah, and you have to be, like, you have to take active control over your health. You know what I mean? Water, a little bit of diet and exercise is, is all you need. Oh, dude, you know, when you're young, like, and you're, you're in your 20s and things like that, like, you get away with a lot. I don't think... I don't think a lot of us realize how much you get away with. And then as you get older, you start to feel the effects of everything. And I don't know if it's you're just more in tune with how you're feeling, but like things that you eat, how hydrated you are, you know, you 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 feel the effects of things differently. And, you know, I'm definitely at that stage now where I'm starting to feel like, oh, you know, like this is giving me, you know, inflammation or, you know, this food is not agreeing with, you know, whatever it is I'm trying to do or, you know, like, okay, I'm dehydrated today. Like just, just things that I am not used to experiencing, you know, from eight, eight years ago, nine years ago to now is like, ugh, you know, so we take youth for granted. That's for sure. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So yeah, you're right. You, you just got to, you know, you got to stay on it. You got to <clears throat> try to be as, as healthy as possible. Keep moving. And, you know, I think we'll be all right. We'll be all right. All right, man. So uh, before we get into the meat and potatoes of what today's episode is kind of going to be about, I wanted to pull up this video. I'm going to do the uh, the screen share right now. Oh, here we go. Can you see it? I can, in fact, see it. All right, so I kind of just put this video together on our uh, video header, video editor, header, header, yes. And uh, so what it is, is it's three different videos, okay? And we're going to, it's the same shooter, so we're going to watch him shoot. And you'll notice that uh, there's a few things wrong. One, every first shot that this guy has the recoil management is all over the place, right? I mean, it's not inside that one mil bubble that we want. But then right. you watch his second shot on the same target, and he is, right? So something's changed. His consistency's not there. Whether he's applying more pressure to his grip and pulling the rifle in tighter, right? He's doing stuff different from first shot to second shot. And it happens throughout the entire video. Now, there's also a little snippet in here where he shoot left-handed and you'll see that he has the same issues but now it's going to the opposite side right so uh here we go you're just gonna play the video i took all the sound out all right so you see he was holding like two mils and he shot straight up and to the left but then his second shot right it was a little less tame there so here he is he's holding And I mean, you could see there, I don't know what he's holding actually, because the, the video controls, how do I move that? Aha. There you go. Let's go back a little bit. All right. So he's playing, play and stop. So it looks like he's holding what, like 4.2 to the center of the target. All yeah. right. And then recoil happens. Boom. And the target's off the screen. So we jumped outside that one mil. But then his second shot, what happened? Like, he didn't barely jump at all, and his reticle came 
you know, back down. Like a half a mil. Yeah. If that, right? He actually went below the target with his aiming point on that recoil oh, control. Yeah, he's one, two. Yeah, he's within like he's within like <laughs> yeah, less than half. So from first shot to second shot, they're not the same, right? They're not consistent. And this happens throughout the entire thing. So now here we come. We got another target. Okay. I'll try to see if we can pause here. All right. So he's holding roughly the same deal, right? Um, it's about 20 yards short of what the uh, the previous target was. And so he's still shooting right-handed at this point. Yeah. So if you guys notice, one, his first shot, his recoil is not consistent with his second shot. And his second shot's always better. The other thing you'll notice is he's shooting right-handed and his reticle's always going to the left, right? It's always jumping left. So you can see with that shot right there, okay, jump left and he was about a mil high. So he takes his next shot. Boom. Now, his recoil management on that one was far better, but he was still jumping left. Okay, so now this is his left-handed shooting. So he's just at 100 yards. He's shooting out of paper. Okay, and boom. Where did the reticle go now? Well, he's like three mils high. I'm going to rewind a little bit here. And up and to the right. Up and to the right. Okay, so his recoil management is three, four mils high. And he's off to the right now because he's now shooting left-handed. So well, at least his stock placement's consistent. <laughs> I mean, right hand, left hand doesn't matter, right? His stock placement yep. still fucked up. So, uh, and you'll notice it doesn't get better. Here it goes. Boom. Still off to the right. Okay. So, I mean, you're talking like three or four mils off to the right. And one thing that he said in the video of this left-handed shooting is that, and, and I don't agree with this, um, you know, I've had shooters that will try to tilt or rotate the butt pad of their buttstock if, if their rifle is capable of that. And I don't agree with it's it. Weird. It's weird because it doesn't allow you to be consistent from one side to the other. So if you shoot right-handed, then you're going to shoot left-handed now your butt stock's all messed up. It's, it's not, it's not good. Right. So this shooter talks about if you're going to shoot with your non-dominant side to lower the, uh, the cheek piece, I don't know why you would lower the cheek piece instead of working to put yourself in a position where you're in the same position, whether you're right-handed or left-handed, right? You want your recoil to be the same. You want your rifle setup to be the same, unless you just got like this fucked up face where one cheekbone is higher than the other or something. I mean, maybe. Well, so I, I, I've seen people change the rifle from side to side and, and I don't, well, I mean, nearly everybody wants to, but um, you know, the only thing I would think of is something I struggle with on my dominant side is people really aren't used to shooting, um, with their non-dominant eye so they they start sitting behind the rifle kind of funny i'm cross-eye dominant so i'm always shooting uh with my non-dominant eye so actually when i shoot left-handed I, I shoot better um so but i do see people put their heads in really weird positions when they start shooting with their non-dominant eye because it it, yeah. it gives them a headache well i mean it's i mean 
if you don't do it a lot, I can definitely see it. I mean, I see it with the civilians. I see it with the cops. I see it with the Marines. Like you put them in a position that they've never been in or they don't get into frequently and all day long. I mean, dudes would be like, I can't see. It's like, well, stop using your right eye. Like use your left eye. You're shooting left-handed. Um, but yeah, 100%. I mean, I could see the weirdness coming out, but if you're actively training this, Agreed. constantly practicing, then you should be practicing to an equal level of right-handed shooting. Like you should not be putting yourself in a position where you're trying to mask your mistakes. So I keep playing the video here and same thing. He's going to shoot this one. And boom, off to the right. Okay, so every shot is like that. But there's something else I want you to notice here. All right, I'm going to go back just a little bit. And I don't want to keep everybody staring at a frozen screen. But Jeff, I want you to pay attention, right? Right before he presses the trigger every single time, you'll notice that the reticle, the, the center crosshair, is constantly trying to drift in one direction, almost like the shooter's fighting his rifle he's fighting his aiming point right and this is going to be your natural point of aim that you're fighting right the rifle's trying to go one direction and you're forcing it to go the other instead of adjusting your body so just pay attention to that real quick and you'll notice off to the right you see how it keeps wanting to slightly go off to the right off to the right off to the right same thing okay and i, and I noticed that i sort of I, I kind of attributed it to he's just not settled but yeah he's he's fighting that natural point of aim oh yeah 100 percent. and then that last shot he actually took the shot to the top left of the target so wasn't uh something went wrong please try again uh-oh something is trying to talk to me right now it's kind, of, yelling at you. it's kind of weird uh all right so this last shot here see play 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 okay so this is just a, a dominant side shot he's taking one shot dominant hand i think he was dominant hand all right oh no this is it this is the dominant side boom so you got one shot um i think he was under time so he gets behind the rifle shoulders it aims in at the target takes his shot and he's dominant hand now so where's the reticle going? Now it's left again. To the left. Right? So uh, this is just another example of same shooter, same issues. Recoil control is all over the place. Um, you know, so these are things to focus on in the future when you guys are training and practicing to be mindful of where that recoil is going. And how to correct it, like adjust your stock position, adjust your body. I mean, you can apply as much pressure as you want to the grip, but ultimately at the end of the day, that rifle is reacting to your body and the angle that your body is presenting to the gun. So start paying attention to this, start working to fix it, right? That's how these mistakes are going to get fixed. Do you, along those lines, do you have a sliding scale or are you pretty much all in on one mil bubble when it comes to shooting positions? So I kind of tailor the one mil bubble, like that's the maximum, right? Um, okay. When I shoot a 308, like I'm here with the with the Marines and and I, I have a rifle that's issued to me. So when I go out to the range, I get to shoot with these guys. And, you know, for me, 308 has significantly more recoil than 
the other calibers that we shoot for competition. So for 308, I'm definitely sticking to one mil if I can be 0 0.8, 0 0.7, 0 0.5. You know, I'm extremely happy with that. If okay. you're looking at like a 223 bolt gun or a six millimeter light recoil, you know, any one of those, as the force of recoil gets less, you should be expecting more recoil management from yourself. I guess my my question was more along the lines of um, like supported, unsupported barricade tripod. I was speaking to uh, one of my buddies and and we were kind of discussing the one mil bubble based on maybe shooting off a tripod versus prone. Um, those are two drastically different positions. Do you still hold that one mil bubble accountable for for both, regardless? Because there's an ability to manage that from every position. Oh, one hundred percent. Okay. So tripod barricade, right? It's, it's, it's one, you're trying to be consistent from position to position. And, you know, I don't know if I've reiterated that enough. Like when you get from the prone position where we have that stock nice and high up on the inside of the neck and it's on the collarbone and, you know, like your position, your buttstock placement should be the same when you get onto a barricade or a tripod or any one of these positions and I'm still working for that one mil bubble, right? I'm still trying to achieve that uh, no matter the position that I'm in. And it really comes down to understanding that, okay, I'm in this standing position, for example, right? I know that there's not a lot of me behind the rifle that is structurally giving me the support to manage all of that recoil. So what else can I do, right? Is it my non-firing hand? It's going to squeeze the handguard. It's going to lock the rifle to that bag or whatever it is that I'm shooting from. Like what else am I doing to help tame that recoil so that every shot's going back to where I want it, you know? So uh, it's a good question though. I mean, I appreciate you asking. All yeah, right. I, I get, um, it, we're just talking about repeating that, that, shoulder position that buttstock on the shoulder um and when i'm shooting off a tripod which is how i do most of my shooting i i sort of envision myself laying in the prone yeah so when i shoot off a tripod i have this really booty popped out kind of squatty position to myself but it's because i'm kind of replicating that that almost uh my 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 chest being almost horizontal with the ground yeah. um you know, in my head, it's it's just a feeling I repeat. So, um, yeah, it's, I wasn't, I didn't know if you had that, if you were hard fast on the one mil bubble for all positions, but uh, it sounds like you are and it's good info. So one mil is the max and, and anything under that, that's gravy. Yeah. And that's just kind of giving yourself a baseline of where you want to be and what you need to do to, to manage recoil better. I mean, yeah. all right. The next video, this is one that you sent me, um, so because I want to show the video, we're going to have to show the people that are shooting, right? So we're not calling them out. And I'm also not saying that they're 100% wrong. I just want to make sure that we are reiterating that um, not- We just all, disagree. Not all of these are going to be the same uh, when it comes to like- the type of strap that you're shooting from. So the title of this video is the, you know, quick tips on how to shoot from a strap. So I want to let people know that a strap can, is not a rope. 
Um, so I'm going to press play here and we're just going to watch. This is actually a fairly well balanced gun, but it still doesn't want to balance great on here. What I'll usually do, I'll pull back and get the gun balanced like this. I'll put my hand up on this strap as well, try and get a little more tension on it. And you can see the target cam is almost as steady as shooting off a regular barricade. All right. So you sent me that video and, uh, one, I would say that will that technique work? Yeah, sure. It will absolutely work. Uh, you can also apply pressure. You can load into that strap and, um, you know, probably get yourself pretty stable, but I've always been against pushing or pulling on any type of strap or rope structure, right? Because Unless you have that thing extremely pulled tight, there's a little bit of sag in the middle, right? And that sagging is from gravity. So you have two connecting points, one on each side, and then you have a sag in the middle, right? So if you push or pull, you are lifting that sagging center. And by lifting yep. the sagging center, you are fighting gravity, right? Gravity's trying to pull straight down, and now you're fighting it. Um, so I've always been against uh, trying to push or pull and more of just like build your position behind the rifle that is naturally resting at the bottom of that curve so that you're not fighting one extra thing right now. Can you get away with it on a strap? Absolutely. If you got a rope that you're shooting from or some loose, you know, strung across item, it's going to be even worse now because you're fighting gravity a lot harder right it's taking more of you to hold that rifle up whether you're pushing forward mm -hmm. or pulling back i mean <clears throat> so uh not saying that that technique won't work i'm just saying that you're adding an extra level of effort required from the shooter by doing that uh, so definitely not my preferred method uh it was an interesting video that you sent me if you guys want to check it out on youtube right the video i mean if you want to push or pull, hey, do your fucking thing, right? And, you know, if you miss or if you're having a lot of issues because of the gravity issue that I told you about, well, then don't say I didn't tell you so. But the video itself, read the comments. The comments are gold, right? Because you got some people that agree, some people that don't agree. You got people who are saying, why the fuck would you shoot off of a strap? Like, I mean, <coughs> comment section of some of the the social media stuff that's out there that's where you that's where you make your money all right stay out of the youtube comments it'll it'll <laughs> give you epilepsy it's so awesome dude i mean i enjoy the comments as much as i enjoy some of the videos all right so our main topic for today is going to be something that you constantly talk to me about and i've just never gone out with you i've never done it myself i mean it's, uh, I wish you would. I mean, I want to. I want after seeing the video, I was like, "Oh shit!" Like this, this looks awesome. Uh, but it's coyote hunting, and I mean, after like I said, after watching the video, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like we need to do this. We need to go. You know, and, and more more specifically, predator hunting, right? Like I love I love hunting coyotes, but you know, bobcats, gray fox, even badgers. Um, you know, raccoons are, are notoriously aggro and they'll come in to do a call like anything else. Um, but yeah, I mean, predators of all kinds are just, just a blast. 
So I'm going to throw the video up here. And uh, the first video I'll show is just the the uh, the video of you kind of messing around. Me being uh, an idiot. <laughs> but you're doing some cool shit in there that we're going to talk about. And it's not a long video. So we'll play the video here. And this is you um, just out there coyote hunting and, uh, you know, kind of getting after it. And, and dude, it, it's awesome. I mean... After seeing this, like, I think what I had in my mind before is completely different than what I'm seeing in the video. So for context, my back is sort of almost up against a road. Um, okay. I've, there's no audio on my side, so... Um, the, my back's up against the road and you kind of use these little areas to funnel, right? You can see that little, that little coyote kind of poking yeah. his head up right there. Yeah, yeah. So this is an early season hunt. Um, I know that I'm going to run into some, some young of the year, some not quite pups, but they're out on their own at this point, which really isn't my preferred, you know, take, this is more of a depredation hunt than actually, you know, going out and, and looking for something that I'm going to, going to keep. Uh, but you can see right there, he makes a mistake of popping up and, sitting there long enough to give me a shot. Um, and that's the three inch dead coyote. Oh, now we have audio. Oh my God, dude. So, so as luck would have it, right. You never have the right, the right gun in your hand when they come in. So dude, you're running. And here's what's funny. No, here's what's funny. Watch, watch. I hit him from about a hundred yards with my shotgun. Okay. I miss him from five yards. <laughs> and I, because I, I, it wasn't, uh, I had to dispatch him because he was still kind of half alive. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of classic daytime hunting, right? Like they are so keened into movement that you can't, you know, had I reached over and got back on my rifle, uh, he, he'd have been gone, right? So I, I had my shotgun in hand and I had to just try to take the shot at like a hundred plus yards. And luckily, I made the shot, but I mean, my holdover was like, you know, 10 feet on the fucking guy. Man. So, I mean, I was going to ask that and, and I wrote some notes here, you know, like we got the hunting video. And so you just kind of told us what the distance on that guy was uh, about a hundred yards or so. And, and I'm probably being dramatic. It, I, I, if I remember correctly, it's probably right around 80 yards, which is, which is still a poke for a shot for a 12 gauge. Oh, absolutely. Um, so I guess to start it off, like, what is the average length? You know, when you say, hey, Tyler, you want to go coyote hunting with me on, on Sunday? Like, am I looking at, you know, six hours? Am I looking at a fucking 24-hour tromp around the mountains? Like, what is a time frame here that you, right? Not me. I could be out there. You know, until I learn about a coyote, until I learn about its habits and, and how to find them, I could be out there for fucking 48 hours and never see shit. But yeah, I hunted when I first started coyote hunting. I was pretty, I don't want to say I was really young, but I was probably uh, either early 20s, maybe late teens. Um, I went three, four years before I ever shot a coyote. Like I, I deer hunted a lot. I, I shot one as a uh, opportunity. He just, I was deer hunting and he came across and um, I ended up taking him. But, you know, 
It depends on what we're doing. I mean, if we're going to go out for a, for a weekend hunt or an all day hunt, we'll, me and you will leave here at, you know, probably uh, before sunup, get to where we're getting by sunup and, and make a bunch of day stands all day like that, where we're driving around and, and, you know, getting out of the truck, hiking a hundred yards, getting our set stuff set up, getting the call out there. If we're going to use an electronic call or hand call and then call for about 30 minutes or so, if we're calling for coyotes, if we're calling for bobcats, we're going to be out there for 40 minutes. Um, and then if nothing comes in, we just, we, we sneak out. So, you know, we don't make a bunch of noise for the stuff that maybe we didn't see and, and alert them and, uh, drive on to the next spot. Um, and we can literally do that all day, have dinner. And then at sundown, we're, uh, we're hunting from sundown to sun up and then just trying to not die on the way home. Cause we're falling asleep Yeah, I mean, or, you know, or if we're just going for a night hunt, we'll be out there. Uh, maybe get out there about sundown and hunt all night and just try to get home before the sun comes up. Okay. So we do have another video that kind of shows a, a night hunt and we'll save that one for a second here. I have a few other questions. So when you say like, we'll drive, to certain areas and then we'll get out of the truck we'll probably walk a few hundred yards we'll do some calls and things like that and we'll get all of that how do you know what areas like are there signs that you're looking for you know like over by our training facility there's a few water holes that are specifically designated as like desert water for animals um you know but are you looking for things that that provide life like what is a coyote environment where you're like if you could just look at a map and you knew that there was you know real time uh hydrology on the map to tell you where there might be a, a stream or a creek or anything you know like when you're looking for for deer or elk or for any of these other animals that you might hunt like obviously a water source is a big deal but mm -hmm. these desert coyotes they live obviously a different life so yeah so and this is gonna sort of just fall under i hunt 99 percent of the time in california right i don't i don't i used to hunt a lot in texas with some buddies in west texas uh, midland odessa area but mostly i've hunted california my whole life and it, sort of a rule of thumb is if there's a lot of if there's a lot of water, you're going to get a lot of, you're going to get a lot of critters, um, in places like, you know, where I hunted in Texas, it was, if, if coyotes are there, you're not going to usually shoot bobcats. Um, if bobcats are there, there's not gonna be a lot of coyotes. Um, if there's Fox there, it's because there's nothing else there and they're kind of staying alive. So you have these little areas that are pockets of, of different species, but for the most part, the truth is if, through experience, I can look at a, I can look at an area and go, wow, there's a lot of good, there's probably gonna be a lot of critters there. And then I'll hunt all night there. And I don't see a single fucking thing. Yeah. I mean, it's go out to where you can hunt out in the middle of the desert somewhere out in the mountains and, uh, and just run a call. There's going to be coyotes. They live everywhere. There's going to be bobcats. Now, two years ago, California outlawed bobcat hunting, which is a major thorn in my side. So I can't do that out here anymore, but um, still gray fox, uh, you know, raccoons, badgers, coyotes. I mean, they live everywhere. The only place I haven't had a lot of luck is in the mountains for coyotes. They just don't seem to be as either as prevalent or, um, 
I'm just not good at calling in mountain coyotes. I don't fucking know, but <laughs> okay. they, you know, they just don't seem to be as, as thick. Lots of Fox though. So when you say like, I mean, coyotes are everywhere. It's California. Like, so, so look, so I've, I used to have a buddy that lived in 29 Palms. We'd go to 20, I'd go to, 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 I'd go pick him up in 29 Palms. We would drive 11 minutes outside the base. We'd go hike a big ass mountain and I could see the residents outside of the 29 Palms. Like we're on the backside of, of where there's houses and I'm shooting coyotes that are coming in 40 yards from, from these houses. Yeah. Uh, it's, they live everywhere. Uh, they just, I mean, I almost ran over two this morning here in Orange County and you know, you go out to, to three ninety five up, say like, you know, the, the Owens Valley up there, Mojave desert. I mean, they're literally everywhere. Okay. So you're not having to like track these animals or like, Oh, look, there's a coyote print. Like he's going this way. Like it's not the same kind of hunt. No. So, I mean, it, a common sense will tell you if you're, if you're driving around and you see a lot of, if you've never hunted the area and you get out and you see some tracks and you see some coyote shit, which is, it's it, the joke is it's tapered on both ends. Um, then there's more than likely coyotes there, but you know, they move around a lot. You know, you can go out, I can go out and hunt a spot that I hunt all the time that I know is always really good. Um, and I can just clean up and I can go there, uh, three months from, from that date. And I can't call in a single coyote from that area because they're just, they're, they're two miles the other direction and they're just, they're not hanging out that night. So it's, there's no real rule other than just get out and hunt. And if you can, you can, if you can find some cool, if not, it is what it is. Is there any data out there? Is there kind of like a rule of thumb on how far a coyote will come if you're calling it? Like, you know, if, if, if we're, you know, we're talking like people think of a mile as a long way, but we, and I'm not saying we hunt, but we do shoot and have targets out to a mile. Mm -hmm. so, you know, if we're standing, like, for example, we're standing on the long range firing line at the range and we just start calling and calling and calling. Are you like, is it feasible to get a coyote to walk in from that mile target? Or is that oh, yeah. So if, if you can, if they can hear you, they'll come in. Right. But coyotes are, I would say they're lazy, but they're not lazy. They're smart. Um, there's three things that are going to call a coyote in. They want to fight. They want to eat or they want to fuck one of those three things. Right. So early season when they're not mating, they're not really, um, territorial as much right that you're gonna there's gonna not be a, they're not really gonna be packed up yet they're gonna kind of just be let's say lone wolves kind of lone coyotes running around um you 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 know they're distress calls right you want to call them in to eat well if that coyote just ate i mean he's not necessarily gonna he's got a full belly he's not necessarily gonna climb a mountain to get to a dead animal because he's full and he's taking a nap yeah i got a video somewhere of me calling and no more than 40 yards away from me, there's a kit box and he's just sitting there half asleep and I'm just calling my ass off and I keep looking at him and his ears will perk up just a little bit. And then yeah. he just put his head back down. He just didn't care. Um, <laughs> you know, sometimes our instincts kick, you know, and you can, 
you can pull in a hungry coyote. You know, sometimes you can you can switch your call up and something will just trigger in them that that that's a sound that they want and they'll come into it. But um yeah, I mean they'll come if they can hear the call, they'll come. Um if I would say if they're gonna come in regardless, then they'll come in. But you know, the, I, I'll set up on the side of a mountain and if I'm day hunting, you know, I'm we're we're glassing as far as we can see. Yeah. And I've had coyotes come in from so far. Um and then, you know, there's that there's that old kit fox that's 20 yards away that could care less. <laughs> okay. And I have no doubt that I've I've had dead stands where nothing came in and there's there been coyotes right next to me that just didn't feel like coming in. Interesting. All right. So aside from your shotgun, <laughs> is your rifle of choice? Uh cal um, Buddha caliber in that area. And, and I bring this up because um you know, that Falcor LW7 rifle that I use for mm-hmm. Hyper Adventure Challenge. Um, yep. I passed that to you and I was like, dude, this thing would be sick. You could take this on your coyote hunt, right? And in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, it's bigger than a 223. It packs more power than a 223. It's mm-hmm. got light recoil. It's a six creed more. It's got a flat trajectory. Like you can't go wrong with this thing. And it should extend your hunting distance. But I do know, I understand that coyotes are a smaller target. You know, we're talking like a kill zone that's what, maybe five, six inches if you get a big one, right? But we're not talking Mm -hmm. like kill zones here. So you are, you know, you need to be realistic with, you know, what's your accuracy capability? What's the gun's capability? But um, what is the rifle of choice that you are looking for? And what caliber is it? So it's, it's dependent upon what I'm doing, right? The mission drives the gear. So I'll, I'll go through a couple of scenarios, which is one is just my normal everyday. Um, I'm going to go on a night shoot and I'm going to be in the middle of the desert and I'm just chasing whatever comes in coyotes or gray fox or whatever. Um, I'm probably going to bring one of two rifles, a six by 47 and not a six by 47 Lapua. It's a six by 47, um, which is a two, two, two rem mag necked up to six millimeter okay great little round i, I shoot a california's all lead free show so i shoot a 62 grain um varmint grenade out of it it's probably moving 62 grain it's probably moving in the neighborhood of 3700 feet per second roughly um it just has a lot of energy um, so a lot of energy and it's got a really flat trajectory out to certain distance yeah but the big thing so Again, this goes back to the mission, right? If if I just wanted to go out and just kill stuff, I'd bring that six creed. I'd load it up with, you know, something super explosive, and I would just go blow shit up. I I would know that when I shoot it, it's gonna fall where I shot it, and I'm gonna go get it. Yeah. But you know, I shoot for furs, I shoot for skulls, um, for pelts. So I need something's got a got instant knockdown power, but also isn't going to blow a height up and that's just through years and years of trying different things um my go-to is always a 40 grain v max out of a out of a 223 but with california being lead free i had to kind of pivot um and then there's something is is too explosive right like there's something that's a little too frangible that when you shoot it and you maybe take a shoulder shot it's it splashes 
which is it just hits the bone, explodes, never even penetrates the critter and just causes a a, a double the softball size hole in its shoulder. Yeah. And it won't even kill it. It runs off and maybe it, it dies, you know, 500 yards away when you don't find it. So um, my go-to at night is going to be either a 6x47 with a 62 grain armor grenade or a 223 with a 36 grain um, nozzler. It's their ballistic tip, but it's their lead-free ballistic tip. Okay, um, and that's a great little round, and it is just cooking, as you can imagine. I loaded a thirty-six grain two two three hot. All right, so we got the rifle. Well, we've got a couple rifles and um, um, caliber choices, and uh, like you said, like you know, the the mission is going to drive the gear. California, there's sagebrush everywhere. There is, um, you know, hills small terrain features there's mountains there's all kinds of stuff out there but almost everywhere in in most of california like the desert areas you're going to find that shooting prone is just not feasible unless you find that perfect spot that sits up above the desert floor and you're looking out right so if you're ever down in that low area you're probably looking at needing a tripod yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean so the two most i would say for me the two most common um shooting positions are going to be standing tripod or seated really long bipod but typically seated tripod and and again it's dependent upon terrain if you're by yourself how much you need the rifle to move um you know just because you're facing forward doesn't mean that the coyote or whatever is going to come in from that direction right 90 percent of the time they come in from where you don't want them to come in and you have to sit until they cross your path so you can take a shot um at night at night it's mostly standing tripod um there's a california has a rule you can't shoot out the back of a truck which is kind of stupid but it is what it is you can't shoot from the vehicle so what i did is i built this this um it's basically a tripod with a seat on top of it and it's about eight or ten feet tall it's got a seat it's got a rest in front of it and i can sit in that chair and call and spin 360 with a light um and so that gives me elevation and the difference between being standing height and then being another say five six feet up is all the difference in the world um it's a little little take it's a little more exhausting to deploy every time i have the truck but yeah so tripod is is a staple and or long bipod legs is a staple because seated during the day, your most common position is going to be seated. I can imagine having that additional four or five feet gives you a different angle and a perspective to, you know, that coyote that's walking in, lets you identify it easier. Whereas like if you're just at sage level and you're just looking for these two black tipped ears, it's not going to be as easy. With that. Yeah. I mean, you know, how tall is a coyote? Maybe 18 inches top of the shoulder. Well, how tall is a sage brush? 24 inches so if you're just at eye level even at night you struggle with seeing anything um getting up an additional just even standing in the back of a truck running the light with your shooter at um, standing height at least lets the guy run on the light um have that have that view where you can actually at least see the eyes coming in um during the day you know during the day it's it's kind of you just want as much elevation as possible because you don't have um you got to see movement. Whereas at night you got, you're shooting, basically you're shining a light at reflectors 
Um, and so you can kind of see those through the through the brush. Okay. So before I continue to pop you with questions, we're going to play this uh, quick 15, 20 second skit of this nighttime hunt. Yeah. And to preface this, this is how I night hunt. I don't use night vision and I don't use thermals. Um, out of other states like in Texas, that's a big thing. Um, I used to hunt with a lot of guys out there that would use thermals and night vision. But even in West Texas, which is where I learned how to night hunt um, with my old partner, Randy Watson, um, I hunt exclusively under a red light. Okay. So this is an example of that red light hunting and you'll kind of see the eyes. Here we go. Look at that. So pause it if you can. Pause. All right. So one of the things you'll see is, and I, not not to critique somebody else's video, which seems to be our our go to here. Um, one of the things that that you'll see is is those eyes are freaking bright, right? Um, yeah. The the person on the camera is most likely directly behind the person with the light or he's the person with the light um if the person with the camera say was four foot to the left or four foot to the right those the eyes the eyes they're not flashlights they're just reflecting light so they're going to reflect directly back to what they're looking at which is going to be the call which is mostly going to be the um which is typically going to be the guy with the light, right? Yeah. Um, so this one's kind of low res. It's hard for me to identify if I was going to say, so I, I, I don't know what it is. I can't see it. I would say that just based on how it's coming in, I would say it's a coyote. Um, strictly by its eyes and the fact that it's, it's kind of moving in a pace. Bobcats don't typically come in like that. Um, and now as it's getting closer, you can kind of see it. it's a, it's a dog and right there, I would take the shot. Bang. They didn't good for them. Um, but yeah, so this is how I typically hunt, uh, with a red light. My technique is very much different. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, it's a good video to show kind of what it really, it really is. Um, running a light again, like running a light is such a Running a light in itself is a technique that you have to learn and you're only going to learn with experience. Okay. Um, I take guys out hunting all the time and and it's tough because I've gotten to a point where I don't necessarily want to go out and, and hunt. I want to go out and take guys hunting and I want to put them on critters. I want to I want to call them in and I want to run the light and I want to put these guys on stuff. Um, and mostly because I get so frustrated when someone's trying to run a light for me and, and, they're, and they're doing it wrong. I'm like, yeah. just let me do it. You shoot it. <clears throat> I can see that. So as far as, so we got the rifle, we got the caliber, uh, two other things regarding the rifle. One is, um, you know, I don't need a specific brand. I think we all have our specific brands of scopes that we, that we like. <laughs> Scope. <laughs> so, um, what magnification range for one? And then what's the what's the ideal weight of rifle for you? And talk about like, are you using a spotting scope? Is it a set of binos? Like what, what are you using to 
identify these as you're calling them in. You're like, oh, look there. And, you know, you and this this goes for anybody like you could be military, you could be law enforcement, you could be a hunter. Right. You're going to pick things up that you are experienced or trained to see. Like, you know, for example, we always talk about, you know, uh, in combat, like if you've if you've never seen an AK-47 muzzle before and then there's, you know, one that's possibly sticking out of a window, you're not going to pick it up like the guy who has seen one, right? Because it's a very distinct look and it pops out to him. He has that memory bank stored where he's like, oh, AK-47 muzzle, you know, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, who hasn't seen it is not going to pick that up. So if me and you go hunting and we're out there calling coyotes in and you're like, oh, do you see he's right there? And I could be looking at the exact same spot, but because I don't have that experience as you have, I could just see two little black tips and I'm like, what? It's a bush, bro. And you're like, no, that's a coyote. So like what optics are you using to one identify and then what's on top of your rifle? Like, So I'll just speak to, I'll, I'll speak to me because most, um, most guys that hunt, not a lot of guys hunt at night, right? It's kind of a niche sort of uh, type of hunting. So during the day, um, during the day, you have a little concern for rifle weight, right? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm fairly lazy. So I won't, I I probably won't hike further than about 100 yards from my truck if I'm hunting during the day. Um, Not pretty much, I won't. If I can't, park my truck somewhere and hump like hump to the top of the hill and it's, and it's not that far away or hide my truck behind the hill and just get out and 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 hunt then i won't do it yeah um, and mostly because there's no need to you know i'm calling them to me I, i'm not going to them yeah. so rifle weight is a little bit of a concern for for daytime hunting but not as much um during the day Honestly, as much as as much magnification range as you want, whatever you're comfortable with. Um, for me, I say a good a good mid range like precision rifle rig is is perfect for for coyote hunting um, during the day. Now, you like your rifles to weigh 348 pounds. Your rifle's probably not going to be great for coyote hunting, right? You still have to carry the thing. Depends um, the situation. But yeah, but as far as like optics goes, you know, whatever you would have on top of your normal precision rifle rig, like something that's uh, versatile, good magnification, clarity is probably the most important thing because you're not setting up with a spotting scope. Most guys aren't setting up with a spotting scope and binos. They're just they're just sitting on the side of the hill. They're calling, and when you see movement, um, you get behind your rifle, and and then you can call and track it with your rifle. You know, you you dial the magnification down and 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 track them on that in that seated position or on that tripod, which is why being able to move it and change positions is so important because yeah. you, you kind of need to call and track it. Um, so really anything is, I don't say anything is good, but something with a decent magnification, but in clarity is just a good quality uh, piece of glass. Um, at night, it's kind of a different game, you know, at night um, you don't really want anything the max on the bottom range needs to be, you know, six is topped out on the bottom range. Okay. Um, really ideal is, you know, like a three to 18 or whatever that works out to be. Yeah. Um, that's not what I have on mine because I'm, I'm, I'm good at getting behind a, 
my my rifle and, and picking out a set of eyes but at night um the one of the most important things is and and i don't know the technicals behind it you would but most one of the most important things is the objective right um 56 50 minimum of 56 is ideal you want as much light to come into that piece of glass as possible because as soon as you crank that thing up to i mean 10 12 14 it starts getting darker and darker and darker oh, yeah you're, um, you're just cutting light transmission the higher you go yeah so um you at night you need a quality piece of glass i have uh, i mean i'm running a mark five oh what do i got i got a five to 25 mark five here um and that is probably ideal it's mm -hmm. five on the bottom end it's 25 up top um that has the tmr reticle so it's not super busy and um it's illuminated illuminated is is really important because you have a dark coyote or dark critter um at night with the black reticle it, it can be impossible to see so oh, yeah. an illuminated illuminated reticle is very important critical man for any type of night shooting just having illuminated reticle is a is huge right yeah but also um something that you can dial too right so one of the things i hated about my night force optics is it's on and off that's it and you can go in there and you can adjust it but it was it was all like the old nxs is what i used to run a lot which i probably still have a couple but um it's just on and off so it's either too bright or it's not bright enough depending upon the situation yeah. um that mark 5 hd has you know you can you can dial it in and typically you're shooting on the lowest setting um and you know it's it's such a quality piece of glass that you don't get the you don't get the flare from uh, like you would in some uh, some optics like when you as soon as you turn on the illumination it starts to flare up a little bit so you have to run it really low and um that mark 5 is just a great piece of glass okay so what would you say the average distance like are you anything inside 400 is dead or you're like we got to bring that bitch in it's got to be 100 oh, no. that's where i want to be at night if i can shoot him with a shotgun at, at 20 yards i'm stoked um if 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 that coyote's coming in i let him come in until he's either stopped and i shoot him with a rifle or i know he's going to come in come in and i will transition to a shotgun um okay. the the typical nighttime distance is probably around 40 to 60 yards um it's not that far yeah. um and you know really because you're not it's not like you're using a white light right it's a pretty dim red light so all i have all i can really see are your set of eyes yeah so uh, you know getting getting a positive id one is is the most important um I can't stress it enough. Uh, positively identifying what you're shooting is is kind of important. Yeah. Um, and it, I used to hunt with um, yeah, the guy that taught me. One of the guys that taught me how to how to hunt out in West Texas. Um, he gave me so much shit because we were calling coyotes in all night, and he was my guide at the time. And I kept shooting these coyotes at like 120, 100 yards or so, and he fuck. He's like, "Would you?" I am tired of fucking hiking. So he made me, he let me, you know, he wouldn't let me shoot him until they got into about 40 yards. Cause he, he knew they would keep coming in. Um, and ever since then, I just let them come in until, you know, if they're going to spook, they'll spook and I'll shoot them before. But, um, you know, shoot a, a, 
a coyote with a shotgun at about uh, you know 20 to 30 yards is ideal i could see us out there together where you're getting pissed off at me that we're continually having to walk six or 700 yards to collect our our data. yeah and and you know but again like there there's there's times where like maybe me and you'll just only take shotguns we'll go out to really thick like brushy areas in the desert and we'll stand up back to back against a a freaking yucca tree and call coyotes and you will not see them come in because you're in the thickest stuff and then suddenly one will just pop up five yards from you and you shoot it in the face it's it's fast-paced insane honey but that's another type of you know uh desert hunting that i, I love to do oh my gosh dude it sounds awesome um it is it's a lot of fun i mean you know i kind of quit deer hunting for the most part um just because it didn't give me the you know i could go hike a mountain sit up on top of the hill i got a couple spots i go to and i can shoot a little forky california deer and, and it's over and you know it, it's it's kind of on repeat right it's just not as exciting um county hunting is is you know at night we'll go out i'll make a stand it's 15 minutes i see nothing we get back in the warm truck we drive 0.75 miles up the up the fire line road and we make another stand we do that all night long yeah so all right I'm going to change the question that I wrote down. It's going to be a two-part question now uh, because one, my mindset, I was thinking like, what's your farthest, you know, what's the farthest kill that you've had? Because I'm thinking of it as like a memorable time. Like, dude, we smoked this coyote at, at you know, a thousand or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But on the flip side of that, now I'm curious, like, what's the closest, you know, was oh. sniffing your shoes and you were like, let me move my foot before I blast you. Like, you know, so what's the furthest and the closest. So the furthest is it was, it was right around four. I think it was like, I think we, it was like four sixty ish, not super far. I mean, far for what we were doing for, you know, for coyote hunting. Um, it was along the side of a road and it was just a, this, they weren't coming in. It was a pair. And so we just tracked and they were like 400 ish yards out in the field and they were just kind of walking along i had the lead i think i led the coyote about uh maybe a couple feet off its nose um walked right into it and and it was a it was a pretty clean shot went down so that's my furthest uh, i have two closest uh, my closest rifle um i was calling a we were calling an area i call a lot out in uh, owens valley and it was my six by 47 it, it was um a coyote was just coming in, would not stop. We were, we were uh, making meow sounds like a cat. We were doing everything we could to cut him just to get him to stop. Um, I had to turn the rifle sideways, shoot down the barrel, and he died at about five yards, right at the base of my truck. Dude, okay, so five yeah. yards. All right. Um, and then shotgun, about the same. Um, you used to when we could hunt bobcats. A cool technique was you ever bobcats are like house cats they will just sit behind uh bushes and they're like you can't see me and i'm just gonna kind of hang out here but i can see you but they think you can't so they'll just sit there they act like house cats yeah um so what we used to do is we would if you had one checked up pretty far and you couldn't get a shot and it wasn't coming in um you just take a shotgun and you take a guy with a handheld light and you just lip squeak and you just, you make like a little mouse sound with your lips, uh, which keeps them looking at you. 
and you make just a ruckus. You just make noise with your feet. It sounds like there's a fight going on. It sounds like there's a dying rabbit. Um, and they'll just sit there and they won't move. And you just walk out to that bobcat. Um, and you just keep making noise. You keep making noise and, and you'll walk up to them and you can usually shoot them point blank. Is that where the uh, curiosity killed the cat? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Sitting there like, you can't see me. You can't see me. And he's just wondering what the fuck is happening. And meanwhile, yeah, even if, even if you spook, like even if a bobcat um, catches your scent, which a lot of guys say they don't scent, but they absolutely do. Um, they will, you can bring them back. Like a cat will, will hang out and keep coming back. Um, yeah. For like an hour, like they'll leave and come back, and you play something different. They're like, "Oh, what's that?" Like they're super curious. <laughs> okay, so I got a few four, a few few other things going on here. Um, so you talk about the pelts and stuff like that. So what's up? You got like a coyote jacket. We get some gloves, some booties. Like are we getting what's happening here? Um, honestly, so honestly, I used to. Um, I, I give most of them away. Like yeah. I've got it enough to where, you know, I don't hang on to them, but, um, I used to do a lot of trapping and I used to, to, to put up a lot of furs for, you know, mail them off to the auctions, you know, once every year, every two years. And that would basically pay for my, um, for my hunting for the year, but it just got to where it wasn't profitable and the market kind of went South and, you know, skinning up 20, 30 coyotes, you know, and, and stretching them and what it just, it gave, it's too much work. So, um, Really, I just I'll at the end of a season I'll if I'll skin them out I'll flesh them out I'll I try to tan them myself um, and I just get them away. I mean, ideally, my wife would let me have a, a coyote comforter with a fox trim, but it's never going to happen. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, you know the the cool thing, and if you've seen it in my house, the the skulls are are really neat. So. I used to do, I used to have domestic beetles, which are meat eating beetles. And I used to do a lot of skull cleaning. Um, a buddy of mine does it. And I want to say full time for a living, but he's got a pretty big business doing it. So I just send him my stuff now, but, um, just having a whitened like coyote or bobcat skull that you have, uh, made your own call. You loaded your own ammo, you built your own rifle. Um, you called it in, you shot it, you pelted it, you skinned it you whitened it and degreased it yourself and you display it. It's there's something pretty like every, every skull I have in my house, I know exactly which I know where I shot it. I know how I called it in. And every one of those is a, is a lifeline memory. Okay. So this is a question that's not on the outline here, but I know we don't typically eat these things. <laughs> have you? Yes, I have. <laughs> so, you bring out your, you know what? I'm not even going to say it. I'm just going to keep that comment to myself. So, yeah, I'm Asian and I've eaten cat. Um, bobcat is delicious. <laughs> bobcat is akin to mountain lion. Um, it's, it's a, it's like a, it's like this weird combination between white meat and red meat. Like it cooks up like a red meat, but it looks like a, Cooks up like a white meat, but it looks like a red meat. Okay. Um, it's obviously very lean, and yeah. it will take on whatever you give it, right? So if you if you cook it with a lot of salty sauce, it's going to be the saltiest thing you've ever tasted. Um, but bobcat backstraps are absolutely delicious. It's a it's like any other backstrap. Um, really good, really good cut of meat. Um, oh, I just spit on myself. Um, 
coyote is disgusting. There's only one way to cook a coyote, and it's to gut it and just skin on fur and all over over a fire pit. Just turn it and let it cook. Mm. Um, the skin on keeps it from I don't know, kind of like like cooking a chicken, right? But you're not going to pluck. You're not going to shave an entire dog before you cook it. So it's it really is it's a it's a skin on type thing um but yeah coyote is absolutely disgusting um fox raccoon great chilies i mean there's a whole there's tons of guys that like eat those all the time i, I don't and there's tons of cookbooks but if i shoot a it, i don't anymore um but if i shoot a bobcat i don't think there's a single bobcat i've shot that i haven't taken the back straps off it and eat, eaten it they're delicious I'm just, I, I'm, I mean, I'm curious now about, I don't know why this popped in my head, but there's got to be a way to jerky coyote, right? I mean, I'm sure there is, right? Like one of the trashiest fish um, you can catch out here are, are barracuda, and it's probably one of the best um, smoked fish you can get because it's so oily. So I'm sure there is, but... Ugh. It, a musty a musty coyote that's how they taste they're yeah. they're gross but there's there's guys that eat them they they there's there's guys that eat them like them i'm not that guy i wouldn't say i you know if i'm gonna go on this hunt with you i have to try it i mean just yeah. and, but so here's what i'll say though in in the comment of i don't you know there's a lot of there's a lot of fuds out there that you know pretend to support hunting and you know i like hunting as long as you eat it right or i like hunting as long as you this well then you don't if you're giving me the as long as then you don't support it you're just putting your own ideals of what's important on me so the coyote hunting for me predator hunting in general does a lot of things um and i use the animal but not just as food right the pelts the skulls um as well as the the depredation benefits of just thinning out the amount of of um, predators on ground nesting birds right the number one killer ground nesting birds i believe are domestic cats and bobcats or bobcats and, and raccoons or something like that but um yeah i mean you have the predators are um the, the ecosystem it needs balance right yeah um, and we're part of that balance absolutely man i'm with you um i would just say you know, I'm not partial either way. Like, you know, you're hunting, you do, you do you. Um, I would just want to taste it for my own. Like, yeah, I've done that shit, you know, probably. Not yeah. We a hundred percent. We will, we will find a young tender one. Oh man. And we will cook it up for you. We're going to test my jerky theory too, by the way. All right. I'm down and I'll eat it. All right. Favorite. Um, and it, it could be your favorite. And I know that you've kind of topped on this already. Um, you know, it just depends on, on how that coyote is feeling at the moment. You know, is he hungry? Is he wanting to fucking beat some ass or is he wanting to get mm -hmm. some, ass, you know? Um, but what are some of the most successful calls or sounds that have, you know, like, like you show up to an area, what's your go-to, you know, you might transition through different ones, but what's the one that you start with and has led you to the most success? So. It depends if I if I'm gonna go out. Um, I prefer a closed read because I can work 
myself personally, I can, I can work a closed read a little better. Um, but a closed read at night sometimes will freeze, right? So I have a full, hold on. Let me find if I have. I'm here. I'm just moved. Did my camera move also? Of course. It's following you. Oh, but I tried to turn it off. You got uh, one of them smart cameras. Uh, so let's see. Oh, I'm not going to have it on me. So I was going to open up some calls and show you. Uh, ah, here we go. So this, did it find me? Is it coming back? No. Okay. Here we go. It's not that smart. Okay. Um. So I want to say this is an AP seven Scrary. This is my. This is a. This is my my go to. It's kind of a. Um, uh, I guess it's technically an open read, um, but this is a really cool call. So with this call, I'll usually start with it because I like to. My first series of calls, I like to do some very not super dramatic, not these big loud rabbit screams. I like to show up and just do little mouse squeaks, um, maybe like a little quail chirp, just something that gets their attention. And if something's close by, I'm not blowing their eardrums out and, and freaking them out. They just kind of will pique their interest and come in. Um, then I will typically go to um, any number of closed reads like this. Um which will be some type of rabbit distress, which to be fair, kind of sounds like a dying baby um, or some type of like bird distress um, and all, you know, obvious series of calls, which is, you know, I'll call for off and on for uh, if I'm calling at night, it's nonstop because you're only going to see eyes if they're looking right at you. If I'm calling during the day, um, I'll call, I'll take a break. When I take a break, they start searching for the sound again. Um, mm -hmm. Animals will typically just go straight downwind. Um, pre uh, coyotes at night always straight downwind. So during the day, you get a you can you have a little more room for error because they won't necessarily always go straight downwind. Um, so if you give them a break, you stop calling a little bit and let them kind of pique their interest to to start searching for the sound, and they'll go to where they last heard it versus going straight downwind. Um, if I'm calling at night and I just don't feel like running a, a hand call or I'm by myself because mouth calling can be a little difficult, trying to run the call, trying to run a light and shoot, um, then I'll use my Fox Pro, um, which just has a handful of preloaded sounds. I have a couple that I've made that I, I load up on it, which are my go-tos. And it's just a combination of uh, bird sounds and a couple different rabbit distresses. And it's kind of a combo I, I made that's always worked for me. So what is like the frequency, and I don't mean like the pitch, but, you know, <clears throat> if you're, if you're doing your rabbit distress call, like, you know, your rabbit's dying or whatever it is, like, there's got to be a method to the madness, right? If you're just sitting there fucking blowing on this shit, like, ah, at some point, this coyote is like, there's some weird shit happening over here. Like, yeah. And so there are. A hundred people give you a hundred different answers on, on how to call coyotes and what sounds to use. You know, uh, and some will say that a rabbit doesn't die forever. Um, some will say they got really long lungs they got, or small lungs. Some will say, well, they have really long bleats. Like, truthfully, I will just run a series and and it sounds funny, but in my head when I'm when I'm calling, I try to really think of 
I, I try to feel like I'm distressed. Like I try to feel like, like I'm screaming for help or I'm like, I get, I try to feel panicked. Um, and it comes out in a good caller. You can, you can hear that if you're just on repeat, the sound over and over again. I mean, it's just a, at that point, it's just a a high pitched scream, but you know, I do a lot of inflection changes and, and pitch changes and, and really sound like, um, you know, you, you can Google dying rabbit and you'll, there's a lot of YouTube videos of the actual sound and it's as, as, as disturbing as you think it is. Um, and, and then, you know, some of the preloaded calls that I have, I've sort of over time tried to like mimic those electronic calls. So, um, I really, I just try to sound like I'm panicked. Um, but so I'm a rabbit. one side, <laughs> yeah. Like one side of the coin, you gotta, your mind, you have to put your mind as being a coyote and then on the other side when it's time to call you're trying to put your mind onto what like whatever it is you're trying to portray you're trying to get into that mindset of like if i was dying right now how dramatic would i be how you know like so yeah i mean and there's there look there's gonna be guys that'll tell you look you're overcomplicating it just blow a freaking call coyote come in but those are guys that are in heavily populated dense areas right i'm fighting I'm hunting all public land. I'm I'm having to do something that is a little above and beyond what maybe most uh like the guys in heavily populated areas, like guys down in 29 Palms, which is really heavy, but there's not a lot of hunters down there. Um areas I hunt, you know, they're they're kind of in the middle of the state and they're there's a lot of hunters out there. So the guys should just go out there and just turn on Fox Pro Dying Rabbit and just sit back and hang out like they don't shoot anything um, yeah i i kind of got to work for it <laughs> and there's nights i mean you know i think i think my best night in california solo is i think it was like 11 or 12 coyotes and like four or three bob i think i filled almost all my bobcat tags um and then there's nights i've literally there's been weeks i've gone out and i, I didn't see a single thing for weeks at a time i mean it's it's all over the place so you gotta, uh, you really gotta, if you want to be successful out here, you really have to dedicate your time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, man. I can only imagine like, you know, it's not just shooting. There's, there's a whole art form to this. Is there such a thing as a lucky coyote foot? Um, I don't know, but I have a lucky coyote ball sack that, um, I, I shot this huge, huge male coyote, um, biggest one I ever shot and he just he, his balls were the size of my fist um uh, so i cut them out hauled it out each ball or individually uh together as a pair okay. um and i i uh cut them off pelted it out and i've got a nice little coyote sack <laughs> you, you keep your spare change in there or what? i keep my change in it yeah <laughs> um no, I think there should be. I don't know. I've never, I never cut a shoveled up cowdy foot, but we could make a keychain. I mean, I think it's kind of cool. Like, it sounds like a thing that could be. We'll start selling them on the website. So. Yeah, I don't know how you make a rabbit's foot without having it rot and be disgusting. So, however, they, we should look it up. However, they do it, we'll make coyote feet. I mean, they they've done some things in the past, dude. You got like what rabbit's feet? Uh, mm-hmm. I want to say for for a while there. When I was younger, my mom was really big into like mink tails, you know, mm-hmm. Ohio, like mink tails were a thing. Like, 
I don't know. They they come out with some ways, dude, to keep things moving on. So yeah, buddy, mine had a um, had a coon bone um, wind chime. Those are kind of cool. Uh, rac- raccoons have um, little bones in their penises. They're about this long. They make wind chimes out of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, the wind's blowing. How do you know? Because all the penises are dangling together. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's pretty exciting to when you finally harvest. Uh, a coyote especially like for your first one and you've never done it um when you you put all that work in to finally shoot your first coyote and you pelt it out you know just skin in itself is an art form like there's guys that just butcher pelts i'm pretty i'm pretty weird about i take my time and i take longer than i should to pelt them out because i keep the feet on i don't um i don't just lop the feet out like most people um and and when that thing is tanned and done and and sitting on a hook on your wall it's it's pretty cool yeah well, i can imagine dude awesome dude well <clears throat> that was an awesome intense uh insight into what you can expect from a coyote hunt i'm excited i think we need to we need to go in terms of california is there a specific um window so that's actually a really good question so i there's no season for coyotes. I have a self-imposed season, which used to correspond with bobcat season, which is right around, um, I could be getting my date screwed up, but I, I think it's, it used to be around November 15th ish. Um, I would probably start hunting coyotes around October and then I stop hunting them, um, at the end of February. So I will actually typically stop hunting at the end of January. And it's that, it's for two reasons. One, I don't want to, if you've ever, if you've ever been out coyote hunting and shot a wet bitch and, and because you're shooting like a late season, you're hunting in, um, uh, April or something, right. Um, you're not only killing that one coyote, but you're killing all those pups that, that, that she was trying to nurse, right. Yeah. Or she's, she's currently pregnant and you're shooting a pregnant coyote, which is just, bleeding heart aside you're you're shooting your game for next year or the year after yeah yeah um so short of a couple specific reasons um like there's an antelope eaters hunt i used to do which is we'd hunt in the spring for um an area when the the antelopes would hit the ground um i i self-impose a season of basically winter when it's really cold the fur is going to be better they're not going to be blue they're going to be easier to skin um and it's just a better overall experience because i'm shooting nice furred up coyotes or bobcats or fox right the worst thing in the world would be to find a nice gray fox i shoot it and it just looks like crap that'd be awful so usually it's cold, the colder the better and i don't know if you've been in the desert in the middle of the night and, and shined a flashlight shined or shown shown a flashlight um if it's not cold you're gonna get just covered in flying bugs yeah. So those have got to be all dead and gone. Well, the desert in the summertime is not the ideal place to hang out anyway. So yeah, and even you know October, November, sometimes it can still be hot in the middle of the day, and you're just dying. So I wait till it's nice and cold. Um, it's definitely a winter sport. Okay. All right. Well, man, I am just looking at my battery power here. I had to rig some stuff up a weird way to make sure the microphone wasn't tweaking out on me. So I'm at All right. battery power and uh, 
I mean, we got through what we wanted to cover today, which was talk about coyote hunting and kind of discuss some videos. And did I enjoyed it? It was a good time. I would say that uh, there is one thing that I want to talk about before we get out of here. I'll make it brief, but we're going to do another giveaway, right? And, um, you know, I actually picked this idea from an, a sports podcast that I listened to, but say what you want, right? But having reviews and having, you know, um, ratings is, it helps drive the podcast. So we're going to do a giveaway and it's going to be, uh, we'll, we'll post up more details about it. We'll show you photos of what you're going to get. But here's the deal. You're going to get three hats. Each hat will be different. You'll get a t-shirt, a hoodie, some stickers, all the swag included in this little swag bag, right? Uh, total value, probably somewhere in the ballpark of 250, 250 bucks, right? And we're going to pick two people. So you have two chances to win, right? Two people. We're going to select these people off of the review list, right? So all you have to do is jump on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We'll check both and leave us a five-star review. And if you want to say something, just say we're fucking awesome or whatever you want to say. But it's got to be a five-star review, right? Now, if you don't want to leave a five-star review because you don't think we're five stars, that's fine. I won't be mad at you. You just won't fucking win, right? So I am bribing you for your five-star review with a chance to win some gear from us. Uh, we are looking to increase our reviews, our five-star ratings. You know, two, 250 reviews is kind of what we're looking for right now. So on February 21st, we will do a drawing off of Apple and Spotify combined to pick a winner. So the, you know, the smart person here would go on Apple and Spotify and, and leave a review on both and double your chances of winning right um so if you guys could do that for us if you want to get in, included into this drawing jump on one of those platforms leave us a five-star review i appreciate it it's going to help us in the algorithm it's going to help us in terms of getting more visibility getting our podcast out there and and that's it so we'll post and, and don't don't forget to help us grow so in if you're watching this on youtube in the description down below will be everybody's socials mine tyler max ordinate um Go down there, throw everybody who follows, help us grow, help us get this podcast bigger and bigger. Absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate everybody for listening. Appreciate you guys' support. Don't forget to like, subscribe. All right. Uh, still, apparently, you cannot turn on notifications yet. I'm still trying to figure out which video on our page is preventing this, but uh, one, on. day at a, one day at a time. Uh, visit our website, download some of the free targets. Uh, if you're looking for VIP content, I finally got most of the video put together where we're talking about positioning and recoil management and buttstock placement. So that'll be up soon on our Patreon account. You can go to patreon.com slash maxornit1 and you can kind of see what we have to offer. And if it's something that would fit your um, monthly subscription budget. I know we all have our budgets out there, so uh, definitely not mad at you if if it's not out there, if, if it's not in the budget for you right now. I get it, man. The economy's down. Shit's crazy. You know, the dollar's worth nothing. Um, so, Jeff, appreciate your time, man. As always, I'm going to go get to living. I hope you guys get whatever projects we got going in the house today. Get those accomplished and on to the next one, my man. All right, brother. Thank you. We'll see you. All right, homie. Talk to you later.